0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports, because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and we're going to get into that ludicrous podcast milestone we've managed to achieve at the end. And we're also going to Georgia State's home game on Saturday against Texas State. But first, Brady, David and myself are joined by PantherTalk.com's Ben Moore to discuss the realignment cycle that was and the upcoming men's basketball season. Ben, welcome back to the Thursday Night Podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I'm great, guys. Appreciate you having me and uh, appreciate yeah you know, we got a lot to talk about apparently so that's a good thing so i'm glad i'm here
0: yeah welcome in uh we did set this up initially to talk about some basketball but of course realignment events of the last week have sort of dictated we start there
2: yeah it's funny because i think we set this up it was like yeah basketball's coming up and that's basically the only thing that's going to be worth talking about uh you know because we cover football you know it's it's a time to talk about basketball and yet all of the powers that be in the American conference and conference USA and all that have kind of said, okay, no, you're going to talk about this one more time. And then, you know, Georgia state is where they are. It's stay in the, stay in the sunbelt, six teams from the conference USA moved to the American. And I guess just initially, where were you at when this big news from, I think Pete Thamel dropped?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's see. Where was I? Um,
2: <laughs> metaphorically like more than literally
1: i <laughs> gotcha i was sitting in the house uh eating some ser- no i'm just kidding um no you know it it hit me and wasn't stunning. Um, I had conversations and, and, you know, with people that know, um, I'm very fortunate to be connected in the CBS sports network. Uh, shout out to the folks who, uh, send me a check every month. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, so i got to plug that obviously. Um, and, and a couple of people doing great work as well out there, uh, you know, in the blogosphere and, and essentially, um, you know, once the, uh, you know, once the domino started falling, right? So Texas and Oklahoma happened. Then you had UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston happen. Um, you looked at it and go, all right, so what are the Americans' priorities? What are they looking to do? Well, you know, Mike Resco wanted to uh, obviously keep his conference intact. He just announced an enormous billion with a B uh, TV deal um, that is now quickly dissipating and it looks like it's in major danger, uh, major danger. If you're, uh, if you know, if you know, no. Um, but I think the trouble uh, ultimately is who was attractive, right? So it looked like initially the reporting out there was, Hey, they were going to go to mountain West and they were going to go try to go for a kind of a West coast expansion, which truly looks ridiculous because you look at it and you go from a travel cost point of view. uh, Part of the reason why you have a TV contract and negotiate that, um, is to try to divvy that up to your school's, and we're going to start subsidizing some of your travel costs from place to place, and then increase your revenue. So coming off a twenty twenty year, where a lot of these schools took major cuts. You know, they lost uh, you know revenue. They lost ticket sales. Um, lost obviously TV money. Um, and, and and more importantly, in some of these cases, they cut jobs locally and had to kind of pull. You know tighten up by their bootstraps, if you will. So coming off that, um, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense for many schools. And they looked at it, uh, and, and the Mountain West looked at it and go, are we really, really going to send folks all the way down to Florida and back? Uh, are we really going to go to Philly and back? Does that make financial sense? Uh, are those schools going to benefit us more than the $4 million per school that we get now? And the answer to that was no. So then the list shrank, right? So I kept asking. I said, you know, obviously Sunbelt focus there. Um, we, we look at it and go, all right, so what does the Sunbelt bring? It could make sense. Some higher echelon teams. We looked at, you know, of course, Georgia State, App State, Louisiana has been talking big about that as well. The trouble ultimately is those schools looked at and said the amount of uncertainty that happens within the membership, because you don't really know, you know, what is Memphis going to do? What's their frame of mind right now? We know they have a tremendous amount of resources there locally fan base. uh, And they have a little thing I like to call FedEx money uh, where the, the founder of FedEx is an enormous alum and uh, you know, bankrolls a lot of their, their moves. They want to be in the big 12. Now you also have Wichita state from the basketball side of things who I expect to be exiting very shortly because they're going to look around and going, I don't really want to be in a conference that took this many steps back where we may be the only uh, us in Memphis may be the only bids in this league consistently. So, um I think ultimately once the tea leaves settle and once the reporting comes in and once the invitations officially get answered and I'll pause there for 2 seconds, no one in college sports ever 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 extends an invitation. It's not expected to be agreed upon, ever. It's not a thing. It doesn't happen. Strike it from your record, your brain. Coaches don't turn down jobs. You know what? The presidents and the athletic directors will come out there and say, oh, yeah, it was never offered. We were just talking about it. We are just talking about it. There's ego involved, right? So you have these commissioners. You have these presidents. And ultimately, that's where we're going is now it looks like six teams from Conference USA are moving to the American. Is it a better league than the Sun Belt right now? So sure. And I think that's ultimately where many of those Sunbelt schools landed is they looked at it and go, I don't know if that's going to be better a year, three years or five years. So we're best to just see where we are and evaluate the landscape.
3: You want to hit on that point specifically, because uh, I've seen uh, a lot of talk about kind of the perception and the perceived battle with the Sunbelt as we are going to move forward and kind of what the American is now and what the American will be, you know, there are a lot of people who've said, okay, the Sunbelt is in a really good position to be the best G5 conference. Um, You know, and I want to get your take on that and kind of see if you could, like, what is the timeline specifically for that, something like that to happen? Because obviously, you know, you've got coastal and app state, they're always around, you know, and in basketball, you know, we're still talking about a one bid league. So, you know, do the additions, the rumored additions, um, Kind of change that in basketball, or are we just talking football in terms of you know upper echelon G five status?
1: Um, I think Marshall's definitely a stronger ad uh, on the football and basketball side. They they have had some you know. Uh, Success um, historically, Um, they're a program that cares about multiple sports, Uh, something that's kind of wild that I learned about uh, late yesterday. Uh, They're the defending national champions in men's soccer, of all things, and uh, they have a handsomely paid head coach. Um, It's one of the main reasons I believe things may be a little bit slower right now with the Sunbelt because the Sunbelt currently does not sponsor men's soccer. So they have to find a men's soccer home. We know, here locally, uh, Georgia State is playing this season in the Mac. Uh, There's other Sunbelt schools that are playing in Conference USA. Conference USA is very strong because they have the national champ and uh, several other programs that sponsor uh, soccer. So uh, while we kind of focus a lot of times on football and men's basketball, there's other sports that come along. Right. We saw that with Coastal Carolina. Hey. They weren't maybe necessarily ready for football, uh, maybe not even basketball necessarily, but hey, they just won a national championship in baseball in recent memory. So um, I think that's kind of the total function of a director of athletics at this level. But I think ultimately, as we continue to see the progression, you know, we've seen Coastal seemingly come out of nowhere. Um, I'm a little bit or down on them than a lot of folks, just because I look at their schedule and I wonder uh, what would App State or Louisiana or even Georgia State do uh, with a, a nine and twenty-two uh, opponent record. For example, they have literally the nation's worst record or strength of schedule. They're one thirtieth out of one thirty. I checked that. Uh, it will obviously go up when they play App State here shortly. Um, but I, you know, I think the schools in the Sun Belt have done a good job improving their football progr- uh, programs. My trouble is basketball. And, and, and I know uh, all three of you guys pay attention to basketball like I did. It's the reason why I came to Georgia State. Um, I won't tell my mom and dad that. So hopefully they're not listening to this podcast, but, um, ultimately, you know, I, I wanted to come downtown, play for, you know, uh, for, for a legendary coach and left Giselle and go to a D one school. Um, I think this right now, um, has the potential to be an improved basketball league. Uh, Southern miss has historically been, you know, okay. They've had moments. They've certainly, um, gone out. Um, I, I had a former, uh, Southern miss basketball player, uh, text me friend of mine, uh, from Lovejoy high school here on the South side, uh, um, and he asked me, hey, man, is this legit? Is this happening? Uh, he was excited about it, um, living here in Atlanta uh, from a Southern Mess perspective. Um, they do have a fan base. Um, you know, both both programs obviously do. Um, and that's the important part, too, to the networks as well as to the Sun Belt, is they want the following. They want to create some rivalries, um, you know, locally and regionally. Um, and also, have, you know, it benefit multiple fan bases. But, you know, I, I think this could grow into a multi-bid league, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done, um, that, you know, Traditionally, uh, I would say since Georgia State has joined the conference in 2013, we've seen it. It's been very, very top heavy, right? Georgia State has dominated. You've had Louisiana um, that has been very solid, uh, if not spectacular. Uh, you've seen, you know, previously UTA kind of make a rise and build, and they're they're dropping back. And uh, I, I put the information out there yesterday, and and, and kind of corroborated from multiple people. Um, Little Rock and UTA are expected to leave the Sunbelt. Um, it, it's it's not officially official until someone announces it. Um, and, I, and I think there's a part of it, too, that the Sunbelt wants to wait for those programs, because they're in the league, to go and officially announce where they're going. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why this timeline may be slowing just a tad. Um, it's kind of like everybody knows the secret, but nobody wants to talk about it yet. Um, I think that's where we are. Um, it's one of the reasons I believe, too, haven't had anything from the Sun Belt officially. Um, you've seen a lot of local and regional, uh, in, you know, reporters out there pushing this stuff out. A lot of folks in the blogosphere. Uh, once you have a national person, which you're gonna, it, it's going to be the, you know, you know, as we know in in, in media, it's who breaks the story first, and uh, that's why you start to see some things drip out from Pete Down from Sports Illustrated and some other people, and, and it'll pop out as well. So um, there will be great reporting on it. Um, but but I do think long term. I think football can continue to get better as long as the coaches are retained. We've we've seen the coaching certainly increase in the Sun Belt, um, and competent coaching and guys growing and and um, you know, I think it's been a credit too. I mean, guys can look at guys like a Billy Napier at, at Louisiana, right? He had opportunities to go to go coach in the SEC, um, and stayed, and and that stability is critical to continue to build a very good program and have opportunities to grow and grow and grow. Um, with him, though, I think the opportunity is coming to move. And, you know, ultimately, these coaches do want to move on and move up to the highest level of football. But um, Napier uh, did coach on the Saban staff, so he may be a little bit different because he may be looking at different opportunities. But Jamie Chadwell is going to have opportunities if Coastal continues to roll. Uh, Coastal does not have the money to pay him. That's not going to happen. He's not going to stay in Conway, South Carolina. No disrespect to the folks over there in Myrtle Beach and surrounding. But um, that's that's going to be a a movement and just like it would be here. Sean Elliott had himself an 11 in one year. He's going to get phone calls from P5 schools and and likely go.
2: should say that
1: uh,
2: as we're recording that coastal Appalachian state game is happening. So Ben's take on that's either going to look great on coastal a day from now when you're listening to this podcast, or it's going to look the opposite of great. Uh, I guess moving it back into just general Georgia state talk and specifically on the basketball side, I feel like the biggest thing for Georgia state basketball and building what they want the program to be is sort of less about the other schools because you you hope that Appalachian State builds on that tournament win that they had last year. You hope that a program like maybe Texas State that's been good can continue to raise that level. But the bottom line is Georgia State's got to get back in the tournament and they've got to get back to getting 24 win seasons and getting wins over these power conference teams as they've been able to do. So I guess looking at this team, what are your thoughts that were two weeks out from the first exhibition game
1: yeah um i i think there is expectations there certainly should be expectations from the fan base from the roster quite candidly um you, you are extremely senior laden uh you have basically four of your starters are um you know our seniors uh kane, kane williams i got a chance to watch him this summer in the aebl Uh, It's a summer league. Basically, it takes place in Metro Atlanta. You have guys who play overseas. Um, He played on a team with Devin Mitchell, Jordan Session, um, and and a bunch of guys you may or may not have heard of. Uh, Guys that are in the NBA currently have come and popped in and popped out. Uh, Kane was one of the most dominant players all summer long. Uh, He is in ridiculous shape. Uh, he took last season personally. He knew he played poorly, and and it's kind of one of those things, too, where you don't necessarily report, but you kind of figure it out, right? You're like, hey, these guys had probably two and a half, three months away from basketball, and just depending on where they were, they didn't even have access to a court. So um it's such a feel game, and you kind of saw that with Kane. Um, you know, he's an elite defender, and, and I think there's, the expectations are really, really high for him. Uh, really excited to see Corey Allen. He's really uh, changed his body. He, he looks like he did in high school, and that's certainly not uh, a knock on him. It's just he's put in the physical work uh, to be strong. He's dunking with two hands, which sounds like it's just very strange um, because of, you know, hey, college basketball dunks, uh, high five everybody. But truly, it's one of these situations where there's guys that came back for a reason. Um, I, I equate it to... I um, mean, I just had it pop up on my time hop today. The 2014-2015 unfinished business, you know, group there when RJ came back and you know Harrow and Curtis Washington and 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 those guys. Where were, were, there were guys that you know they had a devastating loss to Louisiana in the Sun Belt tournament final and lost in overtime in that game, uh, and it spurred them the entire summer to push. And that's really what I see with this. Um, I'm very interested to see once the uh, All Sun Belt team is revealed. Uh, just to see who goes where and what the expectations are because um, there are guys that I could truly make a case for, at least three of them being on all, all first team. Uh, just at, quite candidly, they let everybody go? The four out of the five all Sunbelt teams have transferred. guys that transferred out. Uh, the only uh, you know guy that is back is the big fellow from uh, Arkansas uh, State. Um, So I think it's going to be a very interesting year in the league. I think Louisiana has a a ton of talent, um, and it's just a matter of formulating it together. Uh, They have the first, I believe, in quite a while, McDonald's All-American in the conference. Uh, He transferred from the University of Arizona. He was a five-star recruit uh in in the 24 7 composite network so he's a very good player um and went to nevada went to arizona and then bounced to louisiana so a humongous get obviously for bob marlin now does that mean he's going to come in and wreck the league we'll see um but i think there's you know certainly you know competent coaches um you know in the league uh app state is still very short bench wise they're only going to play six or seven guys um they had some some guys leave coastal had their two best players leave including the player of the year so um what are the expectations there I know it will make that everyone said on this podcast, but Georgia Southerner was picked 11th out of 12th, guys. So um, I, I think we'll break it, to, you know, we'll break out the, the poor guys. and uh, But no, I mean, I think the expectations should be high. Uh, Rob Lanier knows last year there was a missed opportunity. You had a lead at halftime in the Sunbelt title game, and you were super hot coming in that game. Um, and everybody, everything kind of went every direction and I still kind of maintain it was the worst 10 minutes of basketball probably in two months um Nelson Phillips being back is tremendous because he can play defensively he can play offensively uh Jordan Rawls is another guy that I am really excited to see uh, another four-star guard in this program and Rob Lanier flat out told him and his parents you likely won't start here and they said awesome you're the only coach that told me that that's why I'm coming uh, that's the level of, of talent that's on this roster. And you look up and down, um, you know, there's and I and I keep calling them and if anybody's to see me on Twitter uh, or or on my own website, uh, the young man from Taiwan, Chen Hao Ma uh the sniper he is six six and a half and he has been officially blessed by Devin mitchell Devin, shout out to him he texted me the other day had a workout with him and he said he is a pro it's as simple as that it comes out of his hand easy he can shoot from 30 feet i don't know how long he's going to be at georgia state and i just was like okay that's pretty good he and he goes i don't know whose minutes he's going to take but he's going to play because he's really good. And uh, that's that's kind of what Rob and uh, and that staff has done. And I think a credit to them as well. You know, right? You, you This is a year three. You've had the coaches stay there. You have a former first-round draft pick in Jarvis Hayes, who is the third assistant on this roster, um, you know, making some impact and making some hay in the Georgia. And there's a lot of talented dudes on this roster. And um, I think the only thing that could slow them potentially is is injuries. But even then, there's a ton of depth at guards and forwards.
3: Yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you had mentioned the uh, 2015 team, Um because it, it in a way, it kind of feels like this is the same exact season that's setting up, you know, with the you, you know, you mentioned the halftime lead in the Sunbelt title game last year and the worst 10 minutes, as you called it. And, you know. Obviously, when you have a lot of seniors come back, everybody's like, okay, you know, they could just run it back. And, you know, that's probably true, you know, but I want to ask specifically, there's a lot of young guys on this team that are, you know, pushing for minutes. You know, you mentioned how Ma and I I guess my question to you is, how is Coach Lanier going to strike the balance between, you know, playing and honoring the seniors that are here and just, you know, Finding minutes for some of those young guys who are probably good enough to start on any other Sunbelt team that, you know, Georgia State is going to play.
1: Yeah, I think that's the biggest balance, right? And, and I think a lot of these guys too. You know, they watch the NBA as well and kind of see the balance, how uh, teams go up and down and and have specific roles and rotations. I think with the uh, certainly ease of uh, the schedule this season, and and you know, I don't think you're going to see anything spectacular against Clayton State in the exhibition or Bruden Parker or things like that. But I think you know it's reevaluating. Um, you know where everyone is and, and where they fit, um, and and carving out roles. And I think we have seen from Coach Lanier certainly in the past two seasons is, is there's been a lot of matchup on matchup situations where he likes guys in certain situations where they may not start necessarily, but they're going to play even even minutes or so. Um, I think this is also an opportunity as well where you can kind of, uh, to use a baseball term here, you go to the bullpen. You know, if, if Kane doesn't have it or uh, Corey looks a little bit off, be able to insert someone else and, you know, legitimately not be stuck out there. Um, I, I don't you know, and ride the hot hand the, the wild thing about it talking to Coach Lanier, and it's almost been unintentional. Uh, if you talk to him and listen to his coaching staff, uh, just from a pace point of view, they're one of the top, you know, scoring teams in, in the in the nation, not even just the Sun Belt, and they play at such a pace. Um, that they just wear teams out, and, and the the deeper you can go, and you can keep sending Nelson Phillips and Jordan Rawls, and and keep going and and banging guys out. And Eliel Semi is an energizer bunny at six nine and and you know two hundred and thirty pounds. And we've seen Jalen's emergence. And, and I think the goal is obviously to play as many guys as possible. But obviously, the first and foremost, they want to win the game and win the game comfortably. Um, this could be a certainly a season um, where you. Run it up on teams, run it up on, on, you know, guys like that, get guys out, you know, knock them out and get guys in because they're going to be so hungry to get minutes. Um, you know, the biggest thing I say in college sports ultimately is freshmen want to play. Um, sophomores want to contribute or start. Juniors want to go pro. Seniors basically want to figure out where their legacy lies. So you have a nice mix and variety on this roster and you have depth everywhere. It's just now, okay, who who's doing what, uh, what roles can be accepted and uh, ultimately, if there are teams on this roster that have you know a really good score, as we've seen in the Sun Belt, there's multiple guys that come in there and shut them down.
2: Yeah, I think depth is definitely something George Stake can lean on. And I guess the one place where I meant I don't want to say worry about the depth, but given Joe Jones's injury, re-aggravation, a new injury, whatever is going on there, and he will miss the season, which is just dreadfully unfortunate. Uh, we, we saw the peak of. Jalen Thomas at Georgia State at the last stretch of those games because he was playing the best ball he's played in Atlanta. He was doing a great job, and LAL was bringing the energy all year. And when they were playing together, by the end of the year, they had some really good synergy going. But you know, there's going to be times where one of them's going to pick up a couple cheap fouls in the first five minutes of the game and have to get taken out. And so I guess the spot that I'm looking at to see is who can take up the if we need to get if LAL can't play for a 30 minute game, you know, 30 minute game on any stretch, and we need. You mean minutes from someone else who among the other guys are going to step up because defense is really important part of if you're running the pace, because if you're running a, a fast pace, but you're not locking down the paint and you're letting the other team get quick buckets too, then kind of defeats the purpose of running a quick pace in the first place. And so I feel like that's going to be a point of needing to see what the backup plan there is.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and I think you look at guys like uh, Caleb Scott, who did get some opportunities last year because of injury. And, and you, know, it, you know when Jalen Thomas got into foul, quick foul trouble as well, he struggled certainly early with that. And it, it was kind of, um, there were guys that were playing minutes that maybe weren't ready for that now. Um, so you've got some folks that are, you know, their feet wet there. Uh, the coaching staff is very high on, high on Jaheem Hudson too. He was one of the latest signees uh, from this class and a guy that Um, I was almost wondering, you know, hey, would they would they pocket a scholarship just to keep it? But with um, Joe's re-injury, you have a big man uh, who has a very very high IQ. That's the one thing about Lanier players is they're very very basketball smart and savvy. Um, They come from winning teams. You look up and down this roster, guys that have been in state championships or playing in state championships. uh, Very very solid up and down um, and he looks for something very very specific in guys and he does tremendous amount of due diligence uh, it's great for me that co- guys that cover recruiting because he's only going to offer four five or six guys per cycle so that helps right you can go and you know check and make sure uh, you don't have to call contact like 50 guys like you did do for football but um, it's one of those scenarios where um, it is probably one of those things where you, you want to have you know good injury luck and you worry about you know big men, little bones, right? With Joe, especially with the foot. Um, you know, you want to keep Jalen healthy. Um you you want to have LEL do his LEL things um there. But I, I think this is certainly um you know playing multiple non-division one teams, I think that's where you're really going to see these guys get 15, 18, 20 minutes of of playing time very, very early. Because quite candidly, you know what Jalen Thomas is going to give you now. You know what Lel is going to give you. Um, put him in bubble wrap and 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 uh, see him, you know, in, in bigger games. You know, the Mississippi States and the Georgia Techs and things like that. Um, I think this schedule is very interesting because it does have you know the the Power Five, high major schools. You have some solid mid majors in there uh, as well, and then of course you have the low majors that you feel like you good that you should be able to put a hurting on. So, um this is going to be a little bit different for folks that are, uh, are are used to Georgia State basketball, um you know, kind of evening it out and then kind of picking it up in sunbelt play. Um there are super high expectations on this roster that I will tell you for sunbelt play and uh, they want to put up a big time crooked number and I have heard whispers of uh you know, not only that 14 15 team the 15 and 5, uh, but they they know the all-time record as well. So, it's uh again shoot shoot for the shoot for the stars right
2: yeah absolutely and <laughs> You know, I, I mentioned just like, you know, the worst case scenario there with the front court, but the the, the vibe I get from Coach Near talking about Jalen Thomas is he thinks that Jalen Thomas could be one of the best players that's ever played. For, like he thinks the world of his ability and you can tell that there is a challenging part of like what he's doing when he's talking about Jalen because he thinks Jalen can be good and he, he wants that bit more. And I don't know if some of that's just because he coached bigs at Tennessee and he had some of those guys that he's seen go in the NBA and he knows that the possibility is there. But you can definitely tell like... He thinks that there's a lot that could be there, and that could be a guy we're talking about at the end of the year that has just an explosive year and just totally runs rampant on the conference.
1: And that's the biggest thing we've seen in this conference, right? Since, since 2013, there's not really uh, consistently good big men from uh, you know from place to place. You have the big bruisers. You have guys that can get rebound and defend. Um, Jalen's a different animal because he can do things in the paint. Uh, he can step out now to 12 to 15 feet and hit jumpers. Um, That's a problem big time because you don't know how to guard him and he has the ability in his length, especially defensively, uh, you know, to lock guys down and to just be a menace. And, and I think that's the other side for him as he continues to grow on both sides of the court. Uh, you know, fitting in exactly where he is. And he also is a very good passer. You know, he he gets the ball and can kick it pretty quickly. And you've got shooters, uh, you know, on this roster that can light things up, as we've seen with Justin Roberts and Corey Allen and and, and guys that will come off the bench. So um, I think, again, finding those roles, carving those roles out, being able to play at such a speed. Um, but yeah, I agree with I agree with him. I mean, there's there's names that you know certainly are on the annals and and, and go through the last 25, 30 years of Georgia State basketball. I mean, I, I kind of have Nate Williams up there at the top. Uh, Jalen's going to average and blow his averages away. I think the only thing that he's going to you know take some time to get to is his shot blocking ability you know, there. But um, Nate was a spectacular player. Eric Buckner was a fantastic uh, defensive player as well. Uh, he certainly belongs on that list. But Jalen has every bit the ability. Uh, And, you know, we know now, I mean, seeing his offensive game being as polished as it is, uh, he's such a a great one-two punch with LEL because LEL can beat you up and Jalen can basically take you out to 15 and and just wear you out.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it it is a departure, you know, obviously Coach Hunter presided over maybe the best stretch of Georgia State basketball ever. So you can't say it's a negative, but you weren't recruiting guys that were 6'10 that had baby hooks under him he had a specific big that he liked and it was usually a couple inches shorter and it was more focused on you know being able to run the defensive zone stuff and so it is definitely a interesting return or you know for us cuz we weren't around before coach hunter a real really a start where the big guys have been such an emphasis and it's been just kind of a different animal entirely
1: yeah, I kind of almost equate it to, you know, football scheme, right? You you, you want qu- smaller, quicker line, you know, linemen that can get out and run. That was the biggest thing with Coach Hunter, is he wanted guys with lateral speed could get out on that 1-3-1 one, one defense and really move left to right. Um, a lot of times too, big men are not so super fleet of foot. So, hey, I'm gonna go get a six six or six seven guy who can attack and, and shoot threes. Um, you know, Coach Lanier is, is looking at it not only, hey, I want to in this league and, and win at a high percentage, but I want to go to the NCAA tournament and not be overmatched. And I think that's the biggest thing. Depending on the matchup that we will see, uh, you know, if this team moves forward in March, uh, they shouldn't be overmatched with anybody on their schedule. I, I will say that right now. Not a Mississippi State, not a Georgia Tech. Um, you know, there, there's no one that is the boogeyman out there. There is no you know top top five, top ten program that the Panthers will see this season. So I think you you should see that development. And I think. Even against some of these high, mid, major teams, uh, Jalen Thomas is going to eat. LEL is going to eat. Like there's, there's guys that uh, are, are going to get, you know, be able to put the work in there. And, and I think it just comes down to style, right? Like you just look at it in style and recruiting, and um, you know the substance there, where they they're they're looking for a specific type of big man, and and uh, they're they're offering another one. Uh, we'll find out here in, in about a week and a half just uh, Justin Abson, another no big deal. Just another six ten, two hundred twenty five guys, shot shot blocker, defender. Um, you know these guys don't just fall out of the ceiling and land at Sunbelt programs, uh, as I try to tell people. But uh, Lanier's in front of some guys that are uh, is just silly, and uh, I, you know I think as well there's going to be some transfers that will be available that that have their eye on potentially coming back to Atlanta or just playing for Coach Lanier.
3: Yeah. You know, you make a good point and you, you kind of pivot towards talking about the future a little bit. So I feel like I kind of want to ask you, obviously, the <laughs> the uh, sports arena will be no longer, um, you know, in the very near future. You know, so, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how do you feel about that? The Convocation Center is exciting. But, you know, that building is such a historic, you know, point for Georgia State as well.
1: It is. And, it, you know, as as the great legend david Dave cohen would tell you it was it was never ever supposed to be a division one basketball arena uh, it was supposed to be a rec center and many times it was and and for us uh, old heads uh, we we remember the days where you know there would be pickup games going on on the floor of the sports arena, and here comes Charles Lefty Rizel, you know, chasing people off and get out of my, get off my court. Um, you know, a, a basketball Hall of Famer literally shooing people off with a broom, trying to get practice in. So I, I think that's you know that's a part of it. Um, it you know, nostalgia is a major thing, uh, and you know I, I will miss that place. It was one of the one of the places, obviously, I came to know and love. Uh, my time being around GSU, but um, it's it's one of those scenarios where now moving into the new place, it's going to have its own you know character to it, and, and you know the basketball team is going to need to win at a super high level as well. As we as we know, uh, Coach Hunter, Coach Lanier had a very very difficult time getting opponents into that building because they more often than not would lose and um, you yeah, know there was a distinct uh, home court advantage the players enjoyed it um, you know they 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 even the guys in the last eight to 10 12 years uh, knew what that third floor uh, meant and, and and wore it proudly, and, and I, I think you know, it isn't for everybody. Uh, it isn't the, certainly the best arena in the Sun Belt, as we well know. But it's ours, and uh, we'll fight you if you talk bad about it. So um, you know, I, I think it's going to be very interesting. Obviously, you know, the, the excitement level uh, from the recruiting side of things is very very high when you can show them, hey, this is actually sprouting out of the ground and. Uh, Here's what it's going to look like, and uh, here's some of the opponents that they're going to play. It's not shocking with Georgia Tech coming. Um, You know, I I would be absolutely stunned if that isn't the first official game there uh, to open up the 2022 23 season. There is also rumblings of other major. High major opponents uh, that may or may not be within about an hour and a half or two hours uh, from campus uh, coming to knock on the door on the convocation centers to be on that schedule as well. Of course, nothing is official until contracts get signed. But uh, the, you know, they they realize, hey, look, that this is serious now. Uh, that this is a, a major Division One high major or a mid major program that has big aspirations, and uh, and honestly, uh, they they. Are getting to recruits and credit to Coach Lanier and his staff as well. They're recruiting uh, Metro Atlanta area very, very strong. Uh, you know, again, signing multiple Cobb County kids. Uh, that matters. That that gets folks to pay attention in Metro Atlanta. So we know the amount of, of talent there. Uh, just saw it early this week, and uh, just just for our friends up there in Athens. Um, you know, again, I, I've been with twenty four seven. This is I think year seven for me. Uh, they took a commit from a kid that doesn't even have a twenty four seven profile. That's just sad.
3: So basically uh, what you mentioned about the uh, hour radius, we're just going to get a circle or something, and we're going to find every single D1 uh, school uh, that you could possibly be talking about. And each week we'll just put a profile out because that's going to be the team that, you know, we're going to attribute you talking to. So thank you for that.
1: You're absolutely welcome. I, I'm here to uh, start the rumors, right? Because I had, I had uh, some former admins say, hey, uh, yeah, you, you're you the guy that runs the rumor board, right?
2: And, you know, I guess just in a closing thing on Georgia State basketball, this conversation, it's obviously been a, two years since they made the tournament, and it's a disappointment. And the expectations for this team is winning the Sun Belt tournament, going to the tournament, and competing in a game against whoever they get lined up against. So I guess I feel like we should just, Touch on the fact that that is the standard that's been set in the last decade, and that certainly has not been the standard of Georgia State basketball over the history of Georgia State basketball. And so it just feels important to note, because this is the things you can say in preseason before things go good or they go bad, that, you know, it's a cool place to be in where you can really have that expectation and it is totally warranted.
1: And I think that the other side as well, you know, we've seen the transfer portal, not only just revolutionize college football, college basketball as well. And I think you know, there's a lot of guys too, that are, that are going to hit the transfer portal and want to play first and foremost, um, because you can't you know go to a professional league without playing and without getting video and without getting film out there. The other side is guys want to play in the NCAA tournament. That is the goal everywhere. I mean, if you go to a division one school, you want to play in the NCAA tournament, you want to play in the big dance um, and more and more, Guys are starting to realize, hey, I want to go someplace where not only I can showcase my skills, but I can go and play in March. And I think... Um, they can do that here, and, and that's a humongous recruiting factor here, and, and I think Coach Lanier knows that. He understands how important the NCAA tournament is. He's been there. He's been there as an assistant. He's been there as a head coach. Um, he understands what it means to take this team to it um, and, and because it has been there. It has been done. It is the expectation every single year is to go uh, not only to dominate in the Sun Belt in the regular season but go win the title and go dance. Um, I think that's what he's, he's constructed this roster. It's what he's building for the program. And I think that is the expectations. There's an expectations of winning on this roster. There's a culture of winning now. Um, you know, we I, we he and I talked a lot when he got hired specifically about, hey, look. This wasn't a, hey, we fired the coach because they won nine games. Now I have to completely gut it and rebuild everything. No, there was legitimate talent, all conference level talent that, hey, we need to push a little bit more or find that extra gear and, and, you know, build it that way. Uh, there is an existing fan base as well with Georgia State basketball. That's, that matters. Um, and while a lot of our fans, I think looked at, you know, Coach Lanier because his approach is different, his, um, He's not going to be the life of every party. I'll tell you that much. Um, He's not even going to share a steak with you because he doesn't eat steak. So he doesn't eat meat. So um, it's a little bit different, but you know, I I have given him a ton of credit. I got got a chance to talk to his son as well. I was like, "All right, break down, dad, for me. Let, let, let me let me go through it." You know, and and uh, and and he was a recruited athlete and playing at Davidson now. Um, shout out to him. And uh, but I think that's the next progression, right? It's not only you expect to do well in the league, you expect to win home games, you expect to do well in the Sun Belt tournament. But now it's okay. Look. You want to go out there and make some hay in the NCAA tournament. You want to go and find and be the next VCU, You know, make a Sweet 16 Elite 8 run. Does this roster have the ability to do that based on the matchups that we'll see, obviously, in March? Um, you, you look at it and you go, all right – um, the league itself is probably not going to be good top to bottom, so you're not going to get a high seed. You know, this isn't a a 12-seed roster unless you're going and winning 28, 29, 30 games in the regular season, and probably by that time you know, either receiving votes or being in the top 25. Don't know if it's going to be that special. We'll see. Um, that's the best part about this. But I think ultimately you know, that is the expectation level for this basketball program, and, and Coach Lanier leans into it. He doesn't run from it. Uh, he expects it, and he recruits to it. Um, he tells the, you know, the, the, even the freshmen, look, this is the expectation here. We expect to win and do things there and, and honestly, uh, you know, punish teams.
0: So big thanks again to Ben Moore from PantherTalk.com for hopping on the podcast and talking some Georgia state with us. Uh, We're going to go ahead and move on to football discussion. Taylor joining us for a full Thursday night podcast crew here. Uh, So let's get into Texas state gentlemen, Georgia state and Texas state enter this game with identical records of two and four and identical conference records of one and one Bobcats are coached by Jake Spavital in his third year. He holds a seven and 23 career record in San Marcos. Texas State leads the all-time matchup 4-2, including back-to-back wins the last two times the team's played in 2018 and 2019. Brady McBride is their quarterback. He's had an inconsistent season, tossing 12 touchdowns to go with a Sun Belt leading nine interceptions through six games. Javen Banks and Marcel Barbie are his main targets on the outside. They each have four receiving touchdowns apiece. So, yeah, Bobcats coming into Center Park Stadium for the homecoming game this Saturday at 2 p.m., thoughts on uh, this matchup gentlemen
3: you started off by talking about how uh, these two teams have identical records which absolutely is true you know you can't disagree with the numbers there but these are absolutely not the same teams Um, the four losses for Texas State are Baylor, uh, Incarnate World Eastern Michigan and Troy excuse me Incarnate Word um Obviously, you know, we know Georgia State has lost to Army, UNC, Auburn, and Ab State. Um, you know, we talked about their performances in those games as well, but it's not a, it is not the same two and four. So, you know, what this Texas State team kind of still remains to be seen.
2: Yeah, it's like the, the James Franco meme that it's the same, but different. Like it, they're two, two and four teams but the record, you know, it's a little bit, I think the team that we saw play for ULM against ULM Georgia state didn't play like a two and four team didn't play like a team that you were worried about really on either side of the ball, but particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And I, there were some COVID issues that I think knocked out 20 plus players when Texas state lost to incarnate word. And so you can't discount that in the factor of why they lost that game, but it's still something you look at that just can't happen. And, you know all the fcs losses that georgia state has had and there's unfortunately been multiples of them i don't think that we would look back and be like yeah but they had this go wrong or this like this player was out like you'd still go this is a team that has 20 less scholarships than you you should win this game and they got that uh, 59 dropped on them by eastern michigan whereas you know th- we talked a lot about how that unc loss wasn't great from georgia state but UNC has got a maybe first round NFL draft pick. So if you're going to have someone drop 59 on you, you'd rather be the ACC team with that pedigree than a Mac team that is probably going to go to a bowl game, but isn't necessarily that level of good. And so my top line on this game is just if we see the same Georgia State that we saw play last weekend or last game that Georgia State played in Monroe, Louisiana,
3: Georgia State should be able to handle this one. Yeah, they should definitely be able to handle this one comfortably. Um, because the Panthers, they're playing well right now. You know, I can say that after the ULM game. So, you know, we're not going to talk about anything before that. But they definitely found something in basically all phases of the ball last two weeks ago when they last played. And, you know, I think Texas State is coming off of a pretty rough loss to Troy. Um, I think. I I wasn't able to watch that game but you know Brady can shed some light on it specifically. They lost that yeah. game like at the end there, correct? Yeah, and he
2: means me not Brady McBride, which I think is the first other Brady that we've talked about on this pod. So congrats to him for joining the Brady club. Uh yeah. yeah. yeah Texas State it, it was a weird game. Troy led early. It was a little bit high scoring. Uh Troy led into the third quarter and then Troy was the one making mistakes just giving, and the Texas State went on touchdown drive and immediately got an onside kick recovery, took the lead after that. And it was one of those onside kicks where you look at it and you're like, no wonder they onside kicked. There was no one within 20 yards of the football. So it was a real nice job of capitalizing on something that Texas State saw on film. So, you know, if you're looking for something for Georgia State's point of view, they might be a team that's going to try something like that. You got to make sure you're ready and don't get caught out by that. But then in the fourth quarter, I think Brady McGride had four of his picks on this season in this game, four, three or four of them, and I think all of them were in the second half, in the fourth quarter, and they were just rough picks. And one of them was a pick six that gave Troy the lead back. And yeah, that's how it ended. And you know, I think we've seen some losses like that from some other less good Georgia State teams, and it can take something out of you. And in a game where you lose when you probably should have won the way the game was going in the second half. And it can go the other way where it motivates you and you play above your pay grade, so to speak. And it's going to kind of depend on which Texas state shows up to what kind of a game it is early. Cause if it is a determined Texas state and Georgia state, isn't necessarily playing as crisp as they did last time against ULM then you might get in a situation where it's a game longer than you expect it to be. But if they come out flat and if Georgia State is business as usual as the, the tone that they set from this last game, you know they're already double-digit home favorites, and I think that's fair. And I don't know where the line's landed right now exactly, but the line last time we were like, are we sure because Georgia State hasn't played well? Are they really going to be 17 points better than ULM? And then the answer was emphatically, yes, Vegas knows what they're doing. And so in the same, in the opposite way, you know, I didn't really question it this time because I was like, yeah, they showed that. And if anything, this may be a little bit of a soft line because
3: you just put up 55. (laughs) Total side note, uh, losing a game by throwing three consecutive interceptions and then having the opposing team run a six minute, 30 second drive to bleed out the rest of the clock while you're down three sounds absolutely excruciating. might be the most demoralizing thing i've ever heard in
2: in the georgia state misery index i mean there's been some tough ones but i don't remember a game quite like that i mean (laughs) there's something to be said about losing games in dramatically large fashion to where it sucks but it's over early and there's no hope the ones where it's late Yeah, that's saying like <laughs> it's better to have losses than that than to have the ones where you're leading and you blow a lead and late and all you do late is throw picks and yeah, like you say the I mean we saw the other side of that we saw the the clinching drive for Georgia State against Charlotte where they went just down the field running every play and so yeah it definitely I, I, and that's where I'm at is just like it feels to me like you, you're catching the two teams at completely different points and you know, maybe Georgia state proves me wrong and comes out and doesn't play up to snuff, but it just feels like what Georgia state needed to do was play a game like they did against ULM kind of reset the vibes after starting at one and four and being a little bit down. And from this point, they're looking at a schedule where they can get some more wins and work their way back up to bowl eligibility as a medium. And you know, right now they still only have one conference loss and just depending on other results, the Coastal Appalachian State game is currently going as we're recording this, so we won't be able to have any takes on that. It could be a situation where <laughs> you know, it's crazy to talk about it right now when we've been through what the start of the season was, but you're at one yeah. loss. If Coastal's stay at up, one Brady. loss, if App's at one loss, or, you know, sorry, if Coastal's at no losses and you beat them and give them the one loss and you stay at one loss, which would require winning out the rest of the year, You'd have the tiebreaker over Coastal, and you'd go to the East Division Championship, which seems crazy after the lows. And it's not something that I would rate as a distinct possibility because Coastal is a whole team to deal with, and they're very good. And you know, Appalachian State still has a chance to win this game, and then they would have that situation where they they went out that they have all the almighty tiebreakers going on there, but. When you still only have one loss in conference, you can still talk in terms of this is still possible.
3: As the official captain of the Georgia State win out and go to the Sunbelt Conference Championship game uh, conductor of said hype train, uh, I would love that. And I'm sure a lot of people would, too, because it would be such a weird like juxtaposition between where they were before and just how the offense was terrible and obviously in this scenario the offense would necessarily be back to what we expected out of them and you know it also would require the defense being able to stop people which they couldn't do the first couple of weeks um you know they need some help they definitely need some help for that to happen and they need to play well but we've said it all year. Like the schedule is about to get really soft. Um, It's not going to be easy. I I intentionally use the word soft instead of easy um, because you still have to go on the road to Georgia Southern. That's never easy despite what they are this year. You know, you still have two away games against Louisiana and then against coastal. So, you know, our dream scenario of them winning out is not exactly the crispest thing of all time, but you know, you kind of laid it out there. Like this team could very easily get back to bowl eligibility. And while that might be a disappointment from the, you know, the season expectations coming in, that's still a six win season. That's still a good season. And, you know, it might be, a situation where you know people are wanting a higher level of success and i totally understand that but you know anytime that you can go to a bowl game and come home with a bowl victory and secure a seven win season like that's that's good that's what you want to be that should be the expectation and the absolute floor each and every year right
4: Something think i'm on the lookout for this game especially after that sort of get right win against ulm last week right so georgia state just going by the numbers here getting a little more granular georgia state's 15th in the nation In red zone offense and they're scoring on their red zone trips, they're coming away, you know, 94, just a little bit over 94 percent of the time with the touchdown. That's what I'd like to see them continue is getting to the getting to the red zone and actually finishing with seven and not just settling for three. That is how, you know, especially considering the start of the season. The ULM game is absolutely, uh, you know, a, a moment to look back on of like, you know, in the future in which this sort of, uh, you know, bowl eligible Georgia State eventuality actually plays out. These two games, I think, are going to be easy to look back on and say this is where the team found their rhythm. This is where they were able to sort of get their sea legs under them and come back strong for a, you know, a, a pretty tough um Depending on which you know games you're looking at, like arguably uh, you know Coastal Carolina and at Louisiana, two of your toughest games of the season as well. After Auburn and North Carolina, so I mean, like it's 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 going to be interesting to me to watch and see if the offensive production f- that we saw from ULM is a new standard that we can expect, or you know maybe in a, a lesser case scenario would might have been a one time thing. Um, so that's just something I'm going to be looking out for.
2: Yeah. Uh, I I don't want to dare jinx something by mentioning it on the pod, but you know we talked about the red zone struggles, basically losing them the Appalachian State game because they had to settle for the field goals. But as we sit here right now through six games, Georgia State is perfect in the red zone. In that when they've gone to the red zone, they have scored every time. They're seventeen for seventeen on scores. Only eleven of them have been touchdowns, which still kind of a soft number, but. That's still a remarkable thing, and it's something continued from last year. They were, I think, the best in the Summit last year in red zone offense, and so maybe not a surprise given just how the Georgia State offense is schemed under Coach Glenn. That there's usually a lot of good options down in the red zone to get some yardage, and we saw it to a T work against ULM with the you know the tight ends in the passing game. But the other thing we haven't mentioned yet: ULM beat Liberty last weekend. ULM went into a game as 32 and a half point underdogs at home against Liberty who came into the game five and one Malik Willis, quarterback is eating a lot of NFL buzz this year. Uh, And ULM rattled off four touchdowns in the third quarter to take the lead. 28, 14 Liberty scored two touchdowns back in the fourth quarter to tie it again. But ULM got a absolute hammer of a field goal with two minutes left. 53 yards. I think it was took the lead. Got a pick on the second play of Liberty's drive and won, and a huge win. And the point of it all is that's a team Georgia State beat by over 30 points, and it really wasn't that close. It was 55 14 when the starters left that game. ULM got another touchdown late in the game against the second string Georgia State defense. And that's a, you know, Liberty is still probably going to win something like eight, nine, even 10 games when all said and done. And they just, they went in that game they probably thought this is a team where 30 points better than we're going to walk over them, and that didn't happen. And so it speaks to how important what Georgia State was able to do two weekends ago and just take care of business, get up, not let up, was because ULM just showed you they're capable of beating basically any team on their schedule if they're not going to show up and play. And I was definitely impressed by what I saw from ULM, and by extension, even more impressed by what I saw two weekends ago from Georgia State.
4: The question I want to pose to the rest of you is in a situation where another similar offensive performance comes from the Panthers against uh, Texas State this weekend, which uh, you feel free to name, you know, one or multiple, like which players are going to be the biggest part of that? uh, You know, another breakout offensive performance, in your opinion.
3: Usual suspects, Um, but I'm going to say that on like the rushing side, because I think. As we've seen all year, when Georgia State is, has been moving the ball the best um, that they had, like when they have been at their best moving the ball, it's just been their rushing attack has been very cohesive. And I mean, I think I mentioned it last week when I was talking about uh, just going the reaction to the ULM game. You know, they rushed obviously for a season high 326 yards. That's, you know, not a surprise to anybody who's been paying attention, but there was a point this season I remember specifically asking myself, okay, is this Georgia State team going to struggle to run the ball or like, you know, what, what exactly is going to happen? And they have just absolutely shut that up. Um, And conversely. Texas State is like, they're pretty okay in defending the run. Um, You know, they've had some games like Baylor rushed for over 200 yards against them. Eastern Michigan rushed for over 200 yards against them. Troy last week ended at 200 even, but, um, you know, some of the other games, they were able to hold teams under 200 yards. So I think if Georgia State is going to win this game, It's going to be off of that strength just because, you know, we, we, I feel like we've seen it time and time again, where Georgia state kind of plays the matchup game and we say, okay, this team is better at defending the run and then they are defending the pass. So Georgia state's going to pass. And what does Georgia state do? They still come out and they run the ball and, you know, they either do it effectively or they don't, but, um, I I definitely still think uh I don't know that I gave you players specifically, Taylor, so I will say Granger and uh Tucker Gregg will be my two for the actual answer to your question.
2: Yeah, I mean I'll go the other side and not intentionally. I was just always gonna lead with the passing. Uh and Darren specifically because we saw basically everything you would have hoped to see from Darren Granger last week, last game. Bye weeks are bad because I forget that bye weeks happen. Uh, Two weeks ago against ULM, you saw everything you needed to from Darren Granger in the passing game. And I I just, if you see it one more time, it feels like a trend rather than just a fad, so to speak. And so I think if you go out there and see Darren continue to work the short passing game, continue to work at the tight ends, continue to work this dynamite chemistry with Jakaeus Cradle and get some long touchdowns, whatever, whichever way you want to go about it then it'll start to be like, yeah, he can do this week in, week out, and it starts to be less about, well, maybe you caught ULM on a really bad game and whatever. So that that's where my eyes are. And so, you know, we don't know what the health is at with some of the receivers that have been out. It still sounded like Cornelius McCoy is working back to being able to play. And so just based on how we heard from Coach Elliott when he was asked about it on Monday, I would be more surprised to see Cornelius play. Sam Pickney we know is still been battling the same way and we we've seen him play he played uh last game but again he hasn't necessarily been featuring as much as we've been used to seeing so i talked about it with him being potential second half guy to watch out for and i guess i'd say in the same vein of just seeing what darren can do in the passing game if we see some more healthy sam Pickney, getting him that game to where you go yeah sam's back that would be a nice thing get him involved, get him one of those jump balls that you know he's good for, and uh, helping Darren really pick apart Texas State's defense.
4: I could flip a similar question on the opposite side of the ball and ask, if Georgia State is going to have a great defensive day, which position group do you think is going to have to step up and play the best? Secondary. And I say that for a couple of
2: reasons. One, for the converse of what we were just saying, I was just saying about the passing game, if you had nitpicks with the ULM game for the defense, it's that there were some coverage busts. There were some issues where guys were running wide open and ULM missed some shots and some of them, they didn't miss and they got big plays out of it. On the whole, the defense played a good game against ULM, but that was one spot where you'd look at and go possibly danger. And the other side of it is that, yeah, Brady McBride's thrown nine picks this year. Georgia State just got their first in this last game. And so I think for me, I'd be hoping to see a couple of picks, maybe house one of them, get some momentum plays happening on the defensive side, get in the end zone. And I think there's the opportunity there because I think that Brady McGride is a good quarterback, but he's prone to making mistake throws and maybe forcing where he shouldn't. And I think the Georgia State's got guys that are going to are ready for that. If they're in the position, they can make those plays. And I think that's the place where Texas State's had some success on the offense. This year, But where they've run into trouble is just stuff like those picks and looking forward to seeing that, which has been maybe missing from the defense the first half of the season. Here's your opportunity. This is just the game that screams you're going to be able to get an interception this game if you're in the right position.
3: I'm going to agree with the results because specifically I'm looking for those interceptions as well, but I'm going to disagree with who I think needs to play well for that to happen. And I'm going to tell you why. Texas state has given up 18 sacks in six games this year. That's a lot. It's three sacks a game. It's, I mean, you know, is it an opposing defense? You want to be hitting the quarterback consistently. And if you can get those to be sacks, that's great. Georgia state has had 10 sacks this year. That's definitely, I, I can't speak for anybody else on the pod, but that's definitely below where I thought that the team was going to be this year um now granted we do have to caveat that army is not a team that's going to be throwing the ball a lot you know so you kind of take that out of the equation necessarily and
2: but you're running out of games you can say
3: that for you know we're halfway through the season correct that's you're absolutely correct and so i think that last week was pretty good um you know, Georgia State obviously got three sacks, those their season high. Um, another game exactly like that to force McBride into those bad throws and, you know, make those errant passes is definitely going to be needed because, you know, putting pressure on a quarterback is just so much easier to make him throw, get into mistakes than necessarily having a secondary step up, which isn't to say that the secondary can't step up. But you know, getting after the quarterback and just abusing what's probably not the best offensive line, you know, this side of the Sun Belt is probably going to be really helpful for the Panthers.
2: And like all of this, like I think we're pretty across the board feeling like this should be a win. I mean, it it's a home game. It's against a team that's got a losing record, and it's not necessarily as storied a losing record as what you're you're going with. But the fact is, is they're going to have to come up and come into the game and do it and get off the bus, be ready to win. And I think it, you could see a situation kind of like the ULM home game last year where Georgia state got off, got some turnovers early, got in the end zone, took a double digit lead and really never gave it back. They didn't play a great second half in that game. And so you'd obviously want to avoid that, but that one was a 28 game, 28 point game at halftime, and it never really got that close again. And so I think it's a possibility you could have a game like that and you can maybe make it back to back games where you're able to get deeper into your bench and get guys that practice hard and earn reps, but maybe don't necessarily get it because of the game situations into the game and get everyone feeling good, get a winning streak going. But it's not just like, because you're lining up and you're Georgia state and you can lean on. We've won games in the last two years. Like it's going to have to be about execution, but like when you look at it, the opportunity should be there for Georgia state and, If they do what they're supposed to do, it should be a game that they're able to walk away with and feel happy with their performance.
0: All right. So moving on to question, we did have one from Mike from Marietta who wants to know, other than the Georgia Tech game, what basketball game are you most excited for this year? So we're going to keep this to non-conference, which, of course, is the first little bit of the season here. Um, So, yeah, Georgia Tech, of course, is the last non-conference game on December 21st. My answer is going to be the week before on December 14th, traveling to Starkville, Mississippi to take on Mississippi State. That's going to be a fun, fun matchup, I think. But what do you guys have?
2: Yeah, for me, it's early on, and it, it's it's the Richmond game because currently, if you believe the numbers on everything, and it's too early to know on teams, but Richmond is sixty fourth team on Ken Palm, which is a site I trust on college football advanced numbers. And yeah, they won the they they won fourteen games last year, but it was a shortened year. But they were also in the sixties in Ken Palm last year, and they've been a good mid major program for a while. And it's the first real game Georgia State plays. You know, they play Clayton State Exhibition. They play Bruton Parker. But you would kind of expect those to be comfortable wins. And I think we all have a lot of expectations for this team. And so for me, it's seeing them on the road in that game against a team that's had some success in their history. It's a team that you kind of... You want to be in the conversation with uh, an Atlantic 10 team such as them. And so if they go up there and they beat the Spiders, and especially if they can do it handily, it'll be kind of a confirmation of, yeah,
4: I think we, we've we got this good team that we're looking forward to see from Georgia State this year. Right? I don't know if you care, but you said Ken Palm was a college football site. No, oh, did I? Yeah.
2: Ken Palm is a college basketball site. If you get a subscription to Ken Palm and you think there's going to be college football numbers, don't blame me, even though I <laughs> it was my fault.
4: Yeah, I think I'm going to follow up and actually agree with Jordan that my pick is going to be uh, head down to Starkville uh, to play another SEC school in an out-of-conference. Uh, Georgia State has, the uh, last few years, um, scheduled pretty aggressively going to a couple different SEC schools. Notably, um, first memory comes to that thriller uh, at Alabama. So I'd love to see another SEC school kind of crossed off the uh, off the to-do list for Georgia State for whenever, inevitably, the next round of SEC expansion opens us up to bring it back to the realignment talk georgia state finally gets the nod you know um other than uh vorhees college which honestly just i know nothing about and just like based on the name um i'm interested to hear your take david
3: okay so i'm full disclosure i did not assume that this was out of conference so i did not pick an out of conference team and i'm gonna run with it and the reason i'm gonna run with it's probably gonna make a lot of sense I think we all think that Georgia State is going to be a good basketball team this year with some level of a very high chip on their shoulder coming into this year after last year. That being said, and you probably know where I'm going with this, on January 20th, The Mountaineers of App State come to Georgia State State, uh, not Georgia State Stadiums. Excuse me, uh, come to the sports arena.
2: It's not just me with the college football basketball. They
3: can go to the stadium
0: if they want. It's (laughs) not going to be basketball played there. But guys, is it the stadium? I I only invite the basketball
4: team to show up to the football stadium.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They they absolutely should. But that is the first time that Georgia State will see the Mountaineers in any basketball game since the Sunbelt Championship last year. And it being a home game, and it being a home game where the Panthers probably have a little bit of juice from last year. Yeah, I definitely think that that'll be an interesting game to watch uh, for Georgia State. Let's just say that. If if the season goes how I expect it to, and if the players are... uh, as amped up for you know various conference games as they should be that's definitely going to be an interesting one that I personally am looking forward to
2: I, I did look up if you want to put put in guesses what state Voorhees College is in it's okay so I definitely want to guess somewhere in New
0: England My, my guess. I guess
4: I'm going to take like <laughs> Tennessee is my guess Right. I was, it was flipping between Tennessee and Kentucky. I think it's like some sort of a sun Belt. Are you going New England
3: with Jordan? I feel Jordan, like I want New to go England? like Virginia or something.
2: So you guys are, I think you're overthinking it a little bit. Because it's South Carolina. And the, awesome. the reason I say that is it's a regional thing. You know, it's a close matchup. And so I didn't, I wouldn't have said South Carolina. I'm not saying like I would have gotten it right. I, I probably, I was thinking like Florida. Myself personally, but
4: they're, yeah, they're you know, I mean they're not making the trip if they're coming from like Montana or you know I mean like a, a tiny New England. You know, yeah. But trust me, I've made that drive. It's not fun.
0: <laughs> not as bad as Montana. Hmm. Um
4: I'm gonna take a safe bet and go with some kind of bulldog. Some kind of dog.
3: Let's go to the Lancers, the Voorhees College Lancers. That has a nice, even ring to it in my eye.
4: That was a confident blind dart throw, David. I Absolutely. mean, like that is such a niche that you have thrown.
0: <laughs> it's going to it's going to have to be some sort of like medieval theming. I don't know. Like it sounds almost like a religious school. Like I don't see you got you got paladins, you got crusaders, you got knights or something. It's going to be something like that.
3: Like, the, come on, Lancers! Like that's you know you gotta have your blind dart throw. Like uh, Voorhees Lancers, really good.
2: Taylor was on the right page again because it is one of the just more generic. It's the Tigers, the Voorhees Tigers, Tigers. because the, you know the same thought. But I, I like where you guys are at. Maybe you guys should talk to Voorhees College powers that be and be like
4: look listen move to new england and change your mascot to Mm -hmm. the bulldogs (laughs) it's really what the answer is (laughs) sorry yeah move to new england and become the lancers i just like
2: the personally we've taken on this game with the huge amount of importance and we're just going to be very ready for this showdown because it's the second time we got mentioned when we talked about the schedule originally we definitely took some time out and talked about the vorges game so when those tigers head to atlanta we're going to know who they are
4: and if we keep talking about it like this, they'll know who we are too.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're board material. Yeah, ongoing. I would love
4: to be and board material in the Voorhees locker room.
0: All right, before we get to our 100th episode, little discussion here. I did want to hit you guys with some sports bits this upcoming week. Men's tennis in the ITA Southeast Regionals in Gainesville, Florida, for five days: Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Putting in work down there. Uh, Men's soccer versus Western Michigan in Atlanta tonight as of posting this podcast, 7 p.m. Friday night, volleyball versus Arkansas State in the sports arena, 630 p.m. Saturday, of course, football versus Texas State Center Park Stadium, 2 p.m. You can catch that on ESPN Plus or WRAS FM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. And then also later that night, volleyball versus Little Rock in the sports arena and men's soccer versus Northern Illinois over at 188 MLK, both of those events happening at 7 p.m. And then Sunday, you have women's golf at Little Rock in the Little Rock Women's Golf Classic in Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, and women's soccer taking on Georgia Southern at 188 MLK. And then Monday, you've got women's golf continuing at the Little Rock Women's Golf Classic. Tuesday, they will finish up there. And, yeah, that'll be a lot of good stuff happening in Panther Athletics this week. Keep it locked on Saturday to our Twitter, Facebook, and all that good stuff for our coverage of football at the homecoming game. Hoping to see you then.
4: And before we get you out of here for this 100th centennial episode of the Thursday Night Podcast All of us here at the crew really just wanted to say to everybody out there listening that supported our work, that has consumed our content, that has benefited and engaged in the conversation, thank you so much for everything that you do for us, you know, engaging with us. And, um, you know, we... We do this not out of any sort of, uh, you know, we're not doing this for money, but it's something that we all are very passionate about and love connecting with other Georgia State fans that are equally, if not more, passionate than we are. Um, And this is a really special community uh, of, you know, within the Georgia State Athletics um, sort of larger family. Um, And lucky to be a part of it. And just wanted to say thank you for everything. And here's to 100 more episodes.
0: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun labor of love to be sure lots and lots of uh, hours and effort going into it but uh it's kind of cool to think about that first episode we recorded in the uh was it the basement of the house that three of us used to live in in gresham park just uh, huddled around a little microphone now here we are we're doing a credentialed media coverage and we've got all sorts of cool access to stuff and we get to talk to you guys too that's a lot of fun I know even I
4: before it. the first episode the sort of proto thursday night Podcast. Spawned from a, uh, a, a assignment for Jordan and I's radio news class oh, that's when a, that's we were both uh, and still in college. That this was my like sort of capstone of the semester was to make like a fifteen minute podcast about something. And uh, got myself, Jordan, David, and then a uh, another roommate of ours that is not Brady in on the action. But then that that is what eventually became that idea spawned into uh, a. Hundred episode long uh you know multi-year uh running podcast so really cool just thinking about the humble beginnings of the show and now the less slightly less humble uh, contemporary of where the show is at now
3: i don't have much to add but you know thank you guys i like you guys so let's keep making these things and liking each other and thanking each other in the future so if you like what we've got
0: going on here and you feel like uh, supporting us a little bit, we do have a Patreon set up, as we mentioned last episode, and we're going to start doing some exclusive content starting this weekend with the Texas State game. So if you like, you can go to patreoncom slash Thursday night. That's T.H.E.R.S. Thursday night and check out what we've got going on there. It's five dollars a month. We've got a lot of really, really cool stuff coming down the pipeline, as well as some stuff we haven't told you about yet. So if you want to be a part of it, feel free to take that on. If not, that's fine, too. We're just glad to have you on board for our regular coverage. But that's all we've got for you this week. Hopefully, we will see you on Saturday for Texas State, homecoming 2 p.m. Center Park Stadium. Go Panthers. We'll see you there. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon patreon membership is just five dollars a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers you can also connect with us on social media or on twitter instagram and facebook as at thursday night and of course you can always catch our written material on our website thursdaynight.com the thursday night podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 jordan crawford enterprises llc all rights reserved